All right, good morning, friends. We're going to switch it up a little bit today, if you wouldn't mind flipping over to uh, Proverbs chapter 2. Um, <clears throat> something I've just been looking at in my own uh, private time, and as I was studying through it and thinking about it, I decided, oh, you know what, I'm going to share this on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, the... Uh, Really, what I want to talk about, maybe not obviously, but you know, Proverbs is the, the book of wisdom, right? It's the, the problems of uh, the problems, maybe those two, but the Proverbs of Solomon, and uh, given to us by the Holy Spirit, and uh, it, it really it covers a broad range of topics, and specifically wisdom. And my hope is today, honestly, to talk about wisdom not in an abstract way, but as kind of a life pursuit and a, kind of a seeking after the Lord. Wisdom is actually um, not, it's not entirely, or I would call it more of a, uh, a heart or a, a spiritual approach than a, an intellectual approach. In other words, the great thing about wisdom is you don't have to be really smart to have it. It's not like wisdom is this abundance of knowledge and the biggest brain, and sometimes you can be the, one of the smartest people in the room and, and lack wisdom. Because ultimately, wisdom isn't just the acquiring of knowledge and the retention of knowledge. It's knowing what to do with knowledge. Does that make sense? You know, the illustration I always bring up, because I've lived it out so many times, is, is going to get a pizza. And remember when we went to places and we got things there? Well, back in those days, the olden days, when we used to go places and get things, if you remember, you would go and you, you go to the pizza place, Right? The nice thing when pizza gets delivered, it's like a nice temperature typically, right? You get it, you're like, oh, this is just right for eating, it's tasty. The cheese is still melted, but yet it's not too hot. But when you went, used to go there, especially as a child, if you remember, you, you would like beg your parents for a couple bucks to go play like some video game or whatever, because they always had a little mini arcade at the, the pizza place. And you show up, and then the, the, you're waiting for the pizza, you're starving, because your parents don't let you have a snack, because they're good parents before you go to, uh, to the pizza place. And then the pizza comes. And there it is. And sometimes it even shows up and there's like bubbling under the cheese, right? It's the warning sign. Have anybody watched that live cam right now in um, Iceland of that, uh, that like week-long eruption that's been going on? Anyway, check it out. It's kind of cool. But it's just there's like the bubbling under the cheese. And so you look at it and, and even as a kid, like maybe your little sister, your little brother like reaches out and grabs it and bites it and just their face just crumples, right? And it's like, ah! and they pull the pizza out of their mouth and there's just tears and you're like, it's molten. It's lava. It's just deceiving. But see, knowledge is like, well, that's interesting. The cheese is bubbling. Knowledge is like, I just saw what happened to my sibling. Knowledge is my parents said, you don't want to eat that yet, right? That's knowledge. But how many times have we observed all the signs in the world while sitting around that pizza and just gone, whatever, I'm so hungry. And then the top of your mouth is like, why? And the burn comes and the bubbling, you burn your tongue, and then you don't even taste the pizza for the rest of the night, right? You lacked wisdom. I lacked wisdom. We had all the knowledge in the world. We had all the evidence. We knew what was going to happen. We could completely observe it. And we said to ourselves, not me. I can do this. And we got burnt. And it cost us. And for me, because I've done that too many times, embarrassing amount of times to list, that that's kind of where we're at. It's funny, we're pulling out all the stops this morning because I actually, I brought up a, uh, 
It's a song. I did not write it. But it's a song, and it, the reason I, I, I brought it up here, because in, in, not that I'm some sage old person or something like that. Clearly, I'm very young. But, uh, the, but, but it completely encapsulates the human experience and the lack of wisdom. And it's, it's actually from 2016. It's a, a, a band called Thrice. It was started by uh, an, a worship leader from Mars Hill. Uh, it may or may not be for you. It's never going to be on Caleb. I'll just say that. So he says here, I keep swinging my hand through a swarm of bees because I want the honey on my table, but I never get it right. No, I never get it right. I keep swinging my hand through a swarm of bees, and I can't understand why they keep stinging me. But I'll do what I want. I'll do what I please. I'll do it again till I've got what I need. I'll rip and smash through the hornet's nest. Do you understand that I deserve the best? And I'll do what I want. I'll do what I please. I'll do it again till I've got what I need. And he jumps down and says there, So I'm cutting that branch off the cherry tree, singing this will be my victory. Then I see them coming after me, and they're following me across the sea. And now they're stinging my friends and family, and I don't know why this is happening, but I'll do what I want. I'll do what I please. I'll do it again until I've got what I need. And if you can re- you know, see the the hyperbole or the, the metaphor there, this is the entire human experience, isn't it? I keep, I really want honey. I want something that's sweet. Not necessary, but sweet. And so I continue to jam my hand into a honeycomb to get the honey out, and I continue to get stung. And I think what makes this so, the song just like so apropos to humanity is that those lines in there say, I don't know why they're stinging me. Because that's what we're like. We know all the signs. I mean, somehow there's like this inherent knowledge in all of us that knows you don't mess with a bee. But yet we continue to do things. And then we say, I don't know why this isn't working out for me. Right? Or, or where he says in the end there, he says, look, I have this plan. I'm going to get a cherry tree branch. And I'm going to start swatting at the, the, uh, the, the wasps and the bees. And I'm going to run away. But they're stinging my friends and family. And I don't know why. And we're always like that when we act foolish. When we reject wisdom, when we reject the proper application of knowledge, specifically spiritual knowledge in our life, we end up in this bizarre place of of obstinance and feigned ignorance where we continue to hurt ourselves and those around us and we go, I don't know why this is happening. When in reality is oftentimes the Holy Spirit speaking to our heart, leading us in these things. The reason I wanted to talk about wisdom today, too, is because it's kind of like the, the uh, uh, I don't know, outcast of, of biblical ideas in some ways. And what I mean by that is the, the Old and the New Testament are filled with references to pursuing knowledge. But so often what we are, not knowledge, well, knowledge in a sense, but, but wisdom. And there's a whole other aspect that I'm not trying to put down, but I want to try to merge, and that is the leading of the Holy Spirit. For many of us, and it's a very real thing, you know, we see in Acts, we see all over the place the Holy Spirit leading people, and maybe we've engaged with that, but there's something with that that's very important that we can be prone to neglect, and that is wisdom. It's wonderful to get a word from the Holy Spirit, isn't it? It's wonderful when the Holy Spirit says this or says that, but it isn't interesting that the Bible emphasizes immensely pursuing wisdom. See, wisdom does not detract from the Holy Spirit. Wisdom actually, in a sense, enables the Holy Spirit. And what I mean by that is 
there's things in life that we don't necessarily have to pray about because we just know, right? Most, most of you, depending on your situation, probably didn't pray about starting your car this morning. Maybe you did if it may not start. But realistically, you didn't go, Holy Spirit, should I car start my car this morning to get to church? Should I do this? No, you're just like, I want to go to church or I want to go to the store. I'm going to start my car. It wasn't a prayer meeting before that. You know, if you're in a conversation, you probably don't have to go, Holy Spirit, do you want me to treat this person like poo? No. Because there's a conventional wisdom and a knowledge that tells you that's not the will of God. And so there is an important part of our Christian walk, not to negate the miraculous leading of the Holy Spirit, but there's an important part of our walk that is pursuing God's knowledge and wisdom, knowing what God wants for our lives, not having to kind of lie in wait and, and for some mystical word. And again, I'm not demeaning or minimizing being led by the Spirit. I'm just saying that there's a big portion of it that falls to us. Again, in saying that, we're not talking about salvation. We're not talking about God loving us more. Nobody's saying here that you have to make a life pursuit of wisdom or God doesn't love you. Nobody's saying here that you have to make a life pursuit of wisdom or you can't be saved or you can't be right with God. We're not saying that. We're saying that in this pursuit for wisdom, we actually get to know God, and then we become more able to understand him and who he is. And that's what Proverbs 2 is about. So we'll jump uh, into it here. And we'll read it, and then we're going to make some notes and just talk a little bit about wisdom and how we can implement it into our lives. In Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you and understanding will guard you, delivering, from the way, delivering you from the way of evil and from men of perverted speech. And we'll stop there. So you can see as we read through chapter 2, this, spirit, or excuse me, this pursuit of wisdom, the idea of wisdom, it's not a passive pursuit, is it? In other words, it's not this idea that, you know what, I'll just sit at home, I'll just, that wisdom will just naturally come to me. That somehow it's just this thing that as I age, I'll just get wisdom. I'll become wise. I'll, I'll do that. And that's why we can say, I think, that it's a heart issue and not necessarily an intellectual issue. In other words, what I do with what God has given me, it solely is up to me. But I have this call from the scripture to pursue it with my whole heart. And if I don't pursue it with my whole heart, the implication seems to be that my wisdom growth, as it were, will at least be stunted if not ruined. And what does wisdom do, wisdom do for us? We'll, we'll talk about that lastly, but we can see in the end it's valuable. It keeps us from evil. It keeps us from pain and destruction. It keeps us from pain and destruction from others. It reminds us that when we're continuing to put our hand in the wrong place and we get stung, we can actually acknowledge why. But in this list of what he gives us here, there's some really important words. He says here, 
First, of all, first and foremost, the heart of it, my son. My son, it's, it's Solomon passing on to his children, passing on to others. Just let me give you this wisdom. It's not an angry uh, beginning. It's not an angry greeting. It's not a you will do this. It's just you are my offspring, and I want you to have something. I think that's an important factor of how the Lord looks at wisdom for us. He is amazing, and he is glorious, but he doesn't force his wisdom on us, does he? Not even a little bit. He is always offering, but he doesn't force us to take it. He allows us miraculously to continue to put our hand into a hornet's nest, to keep looking for honey, to keep grasping amongst bees, to keep getting stung, because he's merciful. He doesn't withhold, when we reject wisdom, he doesn't withhold his, the, the natural outcome of foolishness, does he? It's a blessing. It's not a curse. So he says to him, my son, my son, this is, somebody, this is for somebody he cares about, somebody he loves, just as the Lord sees you. And the first word he uses here, action word, is this. And actually three times you're going to see if, and then we're going to see then. There's an equation that's at work here. If you receive my words. So he's going to start off with something internal, something that only we have control of. The word receive means to take or to bring in. So the first thing he says, he says, my son, if you'll receive my words. Now, for some of us, this is all of us, I think at times, this is very difficult, but it's such a crux issue. Are we even willing to receive it? Have you ever been around someone or have you experienced in your own self a time where you just knew I'm not even willing to receive it? I don't care what you say to me. I'm not going to take it. I'm not going to listen to it. We can sometimes come into a conversation or into an, uh, a time or a place, you know, some sort of interaction, or even with the Lord sometimes. You did this to me or you allowed this to happen, and so therefore I won't receive from you. We're weird like that. So the first thing he lays out is we have to be willing to take in his words, to take in what he has to say. The first, the first obstacle, honestly, to... to um, Wisdom is stubbornness. Just, I won't. I know I'm right. There's no way that I'm wrong. I could not be wrong in this situation. Have you ever thought you were entirely right about something, only to find out later that you were wrong? I haven't, other than one time I thought I was wrong, and then I wasn't. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, we all have, right? We've had those moments where you, you are so convinced, and sometimes sickly and disgustingly, it's about someone else's heart. Oh, I know. Oh, I know what you're thinking. Oh, I know what you're like. I know why you did that. And the only to come to find out later, like, well, I, I did that because I thought you, you know, like chocolate milk or, you know, whatever it was. I, I was trying to help. Or even just some factoid about life. To me, that's one of the most fascinating things about the whole coronavirus thing. Because there's just, there's a million studies to show a million things on a million sides. And then you're just kind of left like, if you don't believe this side, you're an idiot. If you don't believe that side, you're an idiot. If you don't believe this side, you're giving into fear. And if you're in this side, you're a fear monger. And you're like, I'm actually just like a dude trying to live my life and not make a lot of people mad. That's kind of what I'm doing, right? So it's, there's this kind of bizarre thing. If we're not even willing to receive what God has from us, for us, we're, not even, we're just going to say, you know what? I, I don't care if bees sting. I'm getting my honey. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to do what I please, and I'll continue to do it till I get what I think I need. It's just such a great lyrical song. 
And that's, how, that's what we do over and over again. Are you even willing to receive? And then you have to ask yourself, if I'm not willing to receive from God, why? If I'm not willing to receive from the brethren around me that love me, if I'm not willing to receive from my family, why? What do you have that's so much better than what anybody else could give you? What do I have that, that would make me think I'm all-knowing and there couldn't be input for me? It's ridiculous when we spell it out, isn't it? But yet, so, you know, it's, we sing that song, you know, who can stop the Lord? You can. You can stop the Lord. Because you can say, no, I don't receive your words. I don't, see your, I don't receive your wisdom. I'm not going to give you my life. In the end, he'll get his way. God's purpose will never be thwarted. But his will is thwarted on the daily by us. Are we willing to receive it? He says, you, we have to be. Then the second part, of, after receiving, he says this. He says, and treasure up my commandments with you. For some of us, as soon as commandment comes out, we bristle. Who, what? No one commands me. I'm my own sovereign citizen. I do what I will. I do whatever I want to do. No one commands me. We're all about the, the merciful Jesus and waving our hands and all that. But as soon as the Lord says, no, I have this commandment for you. We're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Who do you think you are? I have this amazing 3.3 pound brain, and I'm not sure you really understand my situation here. So I don't think your wisdom could help me. But he says, no, he doesn't say accept or even receive the commandment. At this point, he says to treasure it. Treasure is something that is more valuable than something else, right? That's what a treasure is. Whether it's a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow or it's somewhere on the Goonies or whatever it might be, that's what treasure is. It's something of great value. It's something that we esteem to give us wealth. And God comes along and he says, if you want to have wisdom, and we'll talk about why you want wisdom, but he says, if you want to have wisdom, then it's something where you all of a sudden you have to treasure. The interesting thing about treasure is it doesn't have to be emotional. You ever notice that no matter how you feel about a $20 bill, it will still buy you lunch? For now, anyway, right? You don't have to feel good about it. You don't have to love it. You don't have to hug it. You don't have to like have a relationship with it. It's valuable. It just is. The thing about treasure is that we can esteem something valuable without having emotional attachment. Why is that important? Because the entirety of our culture, the global culture, is if you don't feel good about it, if you don't feel ooey-gooey about it, if you don't have an attachment to it, then you shouldn't do it or it's not worth something. Can you imagine if you treated your spouse that way? That's why I have a 51% divorce rate. Because love wax and wanes. You always love your spouse, but every time you get up, you're just like, you know, you're the best thing that happened to me, baby. No. Am I the only one? I guess I'm the jerk. But, you know, it waxes. Like there's, there's, that's life. Can you, can, you, can you imagine if you related to your job that way? I'm going to go to work today only if I feel just mm about it. No. You'd be employed for like five minutes. So there's like no venue in life where we separate or we attach treasure to emotion other than perhaps relationships. Value comes from what something is, not for how we feel about it. Does that make sense? Unless you're talking about hobbies or something subjective. But his commandments, they're not grievous, they're valuable. And until we're willing to even take a step forward and assign them value, we're already undone before we start. Does that make sense? 
We are not eligible to have wisdom. We're not positioning ourselves to have any kind of proper application of knowledge until we're willing to accept and give value to what God says we need in our lives. He goes on. Number two, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. So making your ear attentive to wisdom. If you Actually, as a side note, if you go into and you read this uh, in the, the, like if you have a Hebrew lexicon or something like that, and you look in the Hebrew, the words like uh, treasure, uh, incline, understanding, they all rhyme in Hebrew. So this is kind of a poem. But he says there, he says, making your ear attentive to wisdom. And the word attentive there just means to give attention to. To give something attention. Now the interesting thing about being attentive is have you ever tried to be attentive when you're not attentive? Right? It's like trying to remember something when you just don't remember it. <laughs> you, just, you just can't do it, can you? The interesting thing about attentiveness on a natural level and on a spiritual level is we can actually train ourselves to do this. We can actually create habits in our lives to be attentive. We're not victims to being inattentive. Have you ever felt that way or kind of, kind of, I'm not trying to call anybody out, but just been like, I don't do that because I just don't remember. I don't spend any time with the Lord in the morning because I'm just busy and I don't remember. We, we, we can kind of make those excuses like that. But the idea of being inattentive or, or to, to learn to be attentive, when I first, uh, years ago, when I first joined the fire department, we had to take this course. It was the Firefighter One course. And it's really kind of funny because they treat, they cheat, they don't cheat, they treat you with, uh, uh, or teach you, excuse me, with all these different, it's like, I can't remember, 38 different, these little skill sheets that you have to do. And one of them is actually getting out of the truck. Yeah. Because a lot, you know, there, there have been firefighters over the years that have jumped out of the truck and they get ran down. And so you have to have this whole thing, or they fall off the side of the truck, or they jump off the truck and, you know, sprain an ankle, all sorts of things. It's, they say in the fire service that if there's a rule for it, it's because somebody died doing it. So they had a, they had a, uh, this whole course. And so you have to do this whole thing where you sit in the truck. There's literally a proctor right there testing you how to get out of the truck. It's a little bit bizarre. But anyway, so you sit there, and you have to vocalize what you're doing. I'm looking in the rearview mirror. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And if you don't vocalize, I am looking for traffic, you fail. You fail that, you, you fail that site. And you can only fail two sheets, and then you're out. You don't, you don't get your graduation. When you're putting up a ladder, there's a whole test on how to put up a ladder. You bet you never knew that. There's like 15 ways to put a ladder up. But in, one, in every single way, you have to vocalize, I'm looking for overhead obstructions. I don't think I'll ever forget that phrase in my entire life. I am looking for overhead obstructions. Before I took these tests and did these things and did all that, I didn't do any of that stuff. I had a very small amount of situational awareness. I just kind of bebopped around my life and did my thing, whatever it was. Things happened around me. I wasn't paying that much attention. But what happened was is I began to do the things of the fire department. I had to memorize that even when I'm on ha- my, at my own house, if I'm going to like clean the gutters or take the moss off the roof or something like that, I still go like this. There's no overhead obstructions, even though I know there's not because I live there, right? It developed a habit in me, literally a neural pathway. That's what a habit is. It's a, it's a well-traveled place in your brain, and electricity travels better, signals travel better. A habit is developing a new neural pathway. That's literally what it is. Because we're kind of talking about the natural side of things right now. We're talking about how wisdom is applied. Later, we'll talk more about how the Holy Spirit can use that supernaturally. 
So we can train ourselves to be attentive. We, you know, one of the great things is that, how, anybody here have a smartphone? Like maybe two of us or something, right? <laughs> the best part to me, my opinion, of the smartphone is the ability to raise it to my mouth, hold a button, and say, remind me tomorrow at 10 a.m. to do such and such. And then miraculously, out there in the web world, someone tells someone, or the CIA spies on me, or whatever it is, and they say, James, don't forget to do this thing at 10 a.m. And the, the amazing thing about smartphones or you know, sticky tabs or whatever it is that we have, you can put them darn near anywhere. You can put a sticky tab. I don't know what we call I call them sticky tabs, those 3M things. You can put those things on your coffee cup. You can put it on the coffee thing that you're going to brew it on or tea, or whatever it is that you drink, you know? You can put it on whatever it is that you want to put it on. And it can just say, as you reach for your coffee cup, take this to your Bible. You can actually develop habitual, habitual habits. That's redundant. That's redundant. You can actual, actually you know, create habitual uh, behavioral patterns in your life. You can be attentive. Part of being able to apply wisdom is being attentive, or get wisdom is being attentive. That takes effort. First, we have to treasure. We assign something value. Once we assign something value, have you ever noticed that Jesus even told us, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What we begin to assign treasure or value to is where our heart will take us. That is why there are some things that you do not need a reminder for. Does anybody here need a reminder to look at their Facebook? No, you just do, right? You're like, what? There's a toilet? It's Facebook time. Or, you know, whatever it might be. Like, you just have, you just, there's certain behavioral habits. You just do it. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, but you have developed in your mind a value for something. Or maybe it's when your magazine comes or when your mail comes. You Oh, it's 2 p.m., Oh, there they are. You can go outside. Whatever it might be. We're like Pavlov's dog. We develop habits. Part of walking with the Lord is developing habits. Not so he loves you more. Not so that you're more righteous. Not so that you can feel good about yourself. Not because there's going to be a Holy Spirit pat on the back. Because you are positioning yourself and dealing with roadblocks to letting God work in your life. If we continue to treasure other things, and there's other things to treasure. I'm not, I'm not trying to diminish one thing to enhance another. Does that make sense? I'm not saying negative about anything else. I'm just trying to say positive about making an effort in learning about God. That's all I'm saying. So please don't come away thinking I'm, I'm trying to condemn or something like that. I'm definitely not. So what, now we've discussed, I can be attentive. I can now, I've given treasure, I've, given, I've signed them value. Emotionally or unemotionally, assign them value. And now I'm attentive to listen to, for wisdom. I'm making sure, I'm thinking to myself, is this wisdom? Is this from the Lord? I'm listening to my brethren when they speak to me because I put a sticky note on my coffee cup that said, make sure you listen to your brethren. Whatever it is, I'm now listening to them. I'm being attentive. I'm making an effort. I'm reading something, and I go, oh, I don't know. That doesn't sit well with me. I'm being attentive. Is this wisdom? Is this negative? Is this destructive? I'm not just intaking stuff without any attention to what I'm intaking. 
I'm being attentive. Next, after that, he's going to say this. Incline your heart to understanding. So first, I'm attentive to, uh, attentive to wisdom when I identify that's the proper application of knowledge from God. After that, now I am inclining my heart. This is another societal secret. We already touched on it a little bit. You can control your emotions. Let me say that again. You can control your emotions. What do I mean by that? I don't mean that you can make yourself not have emotion. I'm not saying that you can, you know, if, if, if emotionally you have problems, and it's like, for example, a very real depressive problem is I just don't feel like I can get out of bed today. I feel overwhelmed by what the day has for me. I, over, I feel overwhelmed by, by whatever it might be. I have this or I have that. I'm not saying that you can make yourself not feel that way. I'm saying that you don't have to give into that. The word here for incline your heart is literally to bend. It is to cause your heart to bend a certain direction. And the word to, that we're, what we're inclining our heart to is understanding or discernment. The idea here isn't just intellectual understanding, but it's being able to tell, to discern, is this good or is this bad? Not based on my knowledge of good and evil. That's what we got in Eden. The whole crux of Eden was unbelief because, as humans, we said, we want to rely on our own estimation of what is good and what is evil. We reject God's estimation of what is good and what is evil. And that's what the tree represented, a rejection of God's input into our life. So knowing that that's how we grow up inherently and intrinsically with a desire to have our own sovereignty and dictate what is good and what is evil for us, God comes along and says, we can curb that. We can bend our hearts to his estimation of good and evil, to his estimation of discernment. No longer do I have to look at something and go, well, you know, it seems good, or I think that's good, or even though God says it's not good, I think it probably is good because I see this good side effect, and so God's probably wrong, so I'm just going to go ahead and enter into this. Does that make sense? How many of us have done that? I have. Probably a lot of us have known what God has said, but because we're just so dang smart, we've rejected it. And how did it turn out for us? Pretty poorly typically. Unfortunately, sometimes we don't learn that for decades. Sometimes we sow something now, and it's not until decades where we go, that was a bad deal. I should not have done that. We can incline our heart. It means to stretch or to bend. So how do I do this? I do this, again, it's the same steps. I become attentive to his wisdom. I remind myself. I consider this. I'm in fellowship. Can I give you like a hot take? This is a James Aiken hot take, and hopefully you don't stop coming to church, but I'm just going to give it to you. I think the most important thing at church isn't the Bible. I don't think it's worship. I think it's fellowship. Because fellowship facilitates the teaching and the, and the, the singing. Those components are important. I'm not saying that they have no value. Obviously, I talk way too long about the Bible. So we're not saying like that they don't have value. But I think it's the fellowship that you and I, spirit to spirit, soul to soul, have the opportunity. We don't always engage in it because we walk in like, I'm fine, where's my coffee, right? But we have the opportunity to engage with one another on a radical, soulish, Holy Spirit level in which the gifts of the Spirit, the wisdom of the Spirit, and all those things could actually heal one another. That's literally the precipice that we stand on every time we walk in that door. 
the opportunity to heal a life by simply letting the gifts of the Spirit flow out of us. It's pretty amazing the life that we live. It is far from mediocre. It's far from just another Sunday. What God has gifted you with and what God has equipped and is wanting to continue to equip, equip you with is of eternal value. Anyway, I don't want to digress too far. So we, we incline our hearts. We, we bend them with speaking to one another, receiving for one another in, in the word and in hymns and in spiritual songs, praying for one another, caring for one another, and all of a sudden we're, we're being built up. We are learning and being helped to incline our hearts to discernment. Isn't it a wonderful thing when you can come into church and something that you thought was so valuable, or just forget about the building and the location. You can just meet with God's people wherever they are, and you come in, and you have this heavy burden, and someone is able to say, it's like a word of discernment or wisdom, like, oh, you don't have to worry about that because God is good, or God will provide, or look at this promise in the scripture, and then your burden is laid down simply because you let someone else help you incline your heart to the wisdom of God. That was a Holy Spirit moment, right, that, that if someone does that for you, but it was a natural, practical wisdom from God, too. Isn't that interesting? It was just knowing discernment, and then the Holy Spirit was able to do and work something out amazingly. He's going to go on here. He says there in uh, verse 3, we've talked about um, receiving, a very personal thing. Nobody can do that but you. Treasuring, a very personal thing. No one can do that to you. Being attentive to that which we've given value. Bending to that to which I'm being attentive to. And now we're some, there's this outward, kind of this, this uh, oh, I don't want to use the word violent, but very uh, overt and, and outward step. It says there in verse 3, Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. I, this is just an opinion, but you know when I read about that, for how it kind of rolls out for me, because the idea there is literally to call out, is to, is to proclaim, or even sometimes it's translated read, which is interesting. It's kind of got two different definitions there. But it's to call out, to call out for insight. What's insight? That's being able to see in the issue, Right? And like, uh, for example, if you are tore up and you're like, do I want to go to Burger King or do I want to go to something healthier? Whatever that might be. And so if you want insight into that, you're like, well, what's a Burger King? A cheap Whopper. So I save money and time because i got a drive through But if I go to like the Blue Scorcher and have my organic muffin or, you know, whatever, I know that that will probably be better for me. In the long run, which one do I need right now? Well, I have to go to blah, blah, blah. So maybe today I'll get the Whopper, but tomorrow I'll bring broccoli. You know, whatever it might be. But you have insight into the ultimate issue. You're able to consider the sides of things. And he says we're to call out for insight. Insight, typically, and wisdom, they come from outside of us. We can figure things out on our own, some of it. We can consider things, but there's a need for God's insight. There's a need for God's perspective on things. We grew up with our, the input of our parents, which was sometimes good and sometimes bad, with our parents' value system, which was sometimes good or sometimes bad. Or for those of us that grew up without parents, you had the value system of a foster home or a governmental system or something like that. Those are the values we grew up with. And some of them are good and some of them are bad. But God has his own value system. 
And it's, it's contradictory in many ways to our value systems. And we need his insight. And so he says, we're to call out for it. The interesting thing about calling out is that I'm, I just, I hate um, interruptions. I don't like causing a scene. I mean, I'm willing to if things come, push come to shove, but I don't like causing a scene. And so I'll just be like, oh, you know, I'm that guy that'll be like, I'll be, you know, I'll get my food and like, it'll have like mayo all over it or something. And I'm like, not super happy about this. Uh, I guess I'm going to, can I get like 15 napkins? No reason. <laughs> you know, and, I just, and I'll just eat it because I don't, I don't want the hassle. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to make a scene. I'm not interested. I remember one time I was uh, at a restaurant with a guy who was from out of the country different value system and we're sitting in this restaurant and I'm not kidding you we're sitting there and we're just we're uh, we're eating or we're drinking our drinks and iced teas or whatever and uh, and he just goes and I was like what are you doing he goes we need the the waitress and I'm like dude do you want spit on your food like what do you you don't clap to get the waitress over and he's like oh, of course you do I'm like not in America you don't not if you like want food that's good I don't like interruptions. I don't, I don't like doing that. That's not, it's not. So when I read this, it's like, I'm like, ooh, call out, like ask for help. And it's like, mm, I don't know about this. But it's, it's, it's literally call out, proclaim your need for insight. And then he says, raise your voice. And it means to, to, uh, to interesting enough, to, to set or to appoint. The word raise there, it means to set or to appoint. That we're, we're purposely raising our voice. Say, Lord, I need your input. I need what you have for me. These are very proactive. You notice this? You cannot do this by doing nothing, can you? The implication here is that you cannot gain, you cannot properly apply what God has for you if you're not actively pursuing it. It just doesn't work because we live in a world that is crushing us into a mold, that is telling us what we should think, that is dictating to us our values, how we should raise our kids, what we should do at work, how we should feel about everything under the sun, is constantly pounding us. So if we're not proactively doing something else, we will just begin to treasure this world's treasures, which is satisfying for a short time. You gotta love Hebrews 13. It tells us straight up that sin is pleasurable for a season. That's something I think I forget about sometimes, that maybe we can forget about sometimes. It feels good to sin. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it. If it felt terrible in the moment to tell someone off, it wouldn't cross your mind, would it? But it feels good. I'm going to hear me roar, and I'm going to get me out there. I'm not going to be oppressed by someone. I'm going to, oh, and then afterwards, it's not good. It ruins relationships. Sometimes, unfortunately, words get said that can never be taken back, can take years and years, or even never heal. By simple wisdom, we can, we can avoid so much. So he says there in verse 4, he says, If you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures. So here's he's taking it a step further. We talked about treasure once, but now he says, Seek wisdom... As if it were money. So that should hit home for all of us. I'm not calling you greedy. I have no idea what you're like. But what is money? Money is not inherently evil, right? The Bible says it's the love of money that is the root of many evils, or all evils, depending on your, your translation. Money is not evil. Loving money is evil. But what he says here is he says, For as much as you love money, you should give yourself to pursuing wisdom. 
I don't know if I've ever like worked overtime for wisdom. Been like, well, I clocked my eight hours of wisdom searching. You know what? There's a little more searching to be done. So I'm going to go a time and a half and get this done. You know? But that's the idea, to have a value on it, that it's a currency. Our money buys us shelter and food and clothing and uh, fuel and vehicles and entertainment and all sorts of things, right? Things that are necessities that allow us to live and things that are recreational, that allow us to reset and to continue to be productive in life, right? He says, you treat wisdom like that, that you need it to live. And we do need wisdom to live. You can go throughout life with zero wisdom and continue to stick your hand into a, a honey, uh, you know, or a, a bee's nest to get honey. You can keep doing that. And you can keep getting stung over and over and over again. And you can keep saying to yourself, I don't know why this is happening, which honestly I think for the most part is willful ignorance. But you say, you know, I don't know why this is happening. You can continue to do that your whole life. But what kind of life is that going to be? Is it really going to be life? At the end of your life, will we, would we really explain it like, I lived a great life, a full life. I spent my whole life trying to get something I thought would satisfy me, but in the end destroyed me and my family. Who wants in? None of us. It's just not real. And then in this idea here, he says, seek it like silver. Seek it. Look for it. Literally aim for it. Is what it means. Or beg. It's translated, it's interesting, in the Old Testament, this, the same word is translated aim, beg, be concerned, demand, or be eager. That's the way the, the word's used in different places. But we're called to, to, to seek for it, to beg, to aim for it like it's money. Because it is, but more valuable. It's eternal money. It's that thing that will, that will help us in every situation. Think about it even in a relational a context. And honestly, for when I think of wisdom, yes, there's money decisions. There's all sorts of things. It could be job decisions or moving decisions or all, you know, marital decisions, all the big decisions we have in our life. But for me, the most part, I think wisdom can into play in my own life is relational decisions. Because I'm a big jerk. And there's times that I want to say something. But I know if I say this, it will have lasting effects. Radical lasting effects. You know, I know that, it, and, and, and you, I'm sure you have forums where you have places where you get to talk, and your family, or amongst, you know, whoever, where you're at, and you know that the things that you might want to say, that you're angry about, or you're frustrated about, or, you know, whatever it is, but if you were to say those things, it would not grow the relationship. It would shrink it or destroy it. And so using wisdom, seeking and aiming towards wisdom, in the end, yes, it's a sacrifice of time and effort and tears and, and confusion and figuring out and growth and all. It's all of that. But the alternative is death and division and isolation. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a no contest when you look at the end. Lastly, he says, there's search for it like hidden treasures. And it means to, to search is to examine or to ransack. <laughs> That's just a cool word. You know, we all love secret treasure. I mean, I don't know how many times I've seen National Treasure, more than I'd care to admit, or the Goonies, 
or Red Treasure Island or, you know, whatever, all those stories. How many stories are there that revolve around the secret treasure and you've got a map and you're yelling yar with an eye patch and, you know, you just, the whole nine yards. There's just something exciting about that. And, and, and when you, you know, you picture hidden treasure, they're digging for it. Digging's not fun. There's no context where digging is fun. But there's worth there. Digging for it, looking for it, figuring out the clues, you know, this, this whole idea of what's next, and oh, we got this clue, and we, we, we can study this, and then we can search there, and you know, whatever, whatever it might be. He says that we should be ransacking stuff like it's hidden treasure. Ransacking wisdom like it's hidden treasure. Speaks of like reckless abandon, tearing stuff apart, getting to it, doing what needs to be done. Again, I, I can't reiterate enough. Nobody is saying that this makes you more right with God or makes him love you more. Romans 4 is clear that as soon as we move to a position that says, I'm going to find wisdom and then therefore God will love me more, we actually make God a debtor. That's the word that the Bible uses there in Romans 4. We say, God, you owe me. And that's a very precarious place to be. I've done X and X and X and studied wisdom and gone to church and went to Bible study and did kids ministry, and then you let this happen, God. That wasn't right, because I did for you, so you owe me. That's a fool's errand. So nobody here is saying you do these things, and then that makes you, put you, get you in good with God like a, you know, a good buddy. But what it does is it positions you to hear exactly what he has for you and then to walk in it, which is life and gloriousness, which is weightiness. It's what we've all desired, to have that intimate relationship with God and then to see that. And it actually tells us this too. Because in verse 5 he says, Then, so we had if you seek, we had uh, if you call, we had uh, if you uh, receive, all the ifs, then we get to the then. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Which is interesting because we, you know, most of us are probably familiar. We've seen the verse or heard the verse that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But here it says, if I pursue wisdom, then I'll understand the beginning of wisdom. Which is kind of bizarre. But the idea he's putting forward, he's like, as we invest, we will understand. Because he gives he says, then you will understand. So if you pursue, then you'll understand. Again, there is no, really no venue in life where we treat something as if we can do absolutely nothing and then become an expert, right? <laughs> you, you don't think to yourself, you know what? I'm going to go be an astrophysicist. I think I'll just show up there. You know, can you imagine if your surgeon was like, I didn't study. I figured I'd learn as I go. Just put this mask on, <laughs> you know? Like there is no venue in life that there isn't training for. You don't go to a job. It doesn't matter how high or how low as it were. Any work is honest work is good work. It doesn't matter how, how, how low on the totem pole you might consider your job. It still took training. It still did. You never show up to a job just thinking, I already know. I'll kill this. Oh, you have to get the training. You have to go through it. It's the, this is, it's the same thing. We invest, that positions us, and then we'll know. It's a, it's, a, it's a walk of faith. It's an investment of faith. But really, honestly, 
is it that much faith? Does it really take that much faith for us to say, and if it does, I'm not trying to minimize that. I'm just saying realistically, when we're honest about who we are, when we're honest about how much we don't know about God, when we're honest about how much we want a life that matters, does it really take a lot of faith to say, okay, I'll invest. I'll step forward. Or does it just take willingness? You know, there's a lot of things that can thwart wisdom. I made a little list here. We talked about being stubborn. The other one is being proud. I don't need it. I don't need wisdom. I don't need your input. I don't need the Bible's input. I don't need God's input. I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm great for myself. That's not an honest evaluation. Pride isn't. It's never an honest evaluation. Laziness. I just don't want to bother. It's like a lot of effort. It's so much easier. I have a smartphone. I can just like watch Netflix while I drink coffee in the morning. Church is such a pain and I might die from the corona. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to mock the corona, but it's like you can watch online. You can talk to people. I mean, I'm preaching to the choir here, obviously, because you're here. We can invest in one another. But laziness, spiritual laziness, it'll just end in foolishness and a lack of wisdom. We'll say things we regret. We'll do things we regret. Being rebellious. God, you didn't do what I want, so I don't care. I'm not going to listen to you anymore. I've been let down at other churches, so I don't care. I don't go to church anymore. My, one of my, and I'm not trying to be a jerk at all, but one of my favorite ones is I don't, I don't go to church because there's too many hypocrites. It's like, you'd fit right in then. I mean, we all would. I mean, is there any one of us here that would be so bold to raise our hand to say, I tell everybody what I'm really like? No. Of course you don't, because people would be like, whoa, shoot, baggage much? You know, it's like, we're all like that. We're all like that. Selfishness. I just, I don't, I want to feel good about myself, so I'm willing to say what I want to say and do what I want to do. And I'll just keep on doing it. There's selfishness. I don't, I don't, I don't want to, whatever. I don't want to put up with people asking me how I'm doing. I don't want to, I don't know. I don't want to waste time on a Sunday morning when I could be watching football. I don't want to waste time when I could be working. I don't want to waste time. I want something else outside of this. That's perfectly fine. You can do that. You can neglect wisdom your whole life and get to heaven. You just have a radical lack in your life, an emptiness. And just like the song and just like me, you'll continue to say, I don't know why. I don't know why when it's in our face the entire time. Just being foolish. That's one of my favorite longs of the song. The song. Uh, this time I'll get it right. This time I'll get it right. How many times do we do that? I, this hasn't worked out a hundred times, but this time it's going to work out for me. You know, this, uh, you know I, I've yelled it, or I've you know, yelled or I've raged or I've you know, taken this type of job, right? whatever, I don't know, jumped into this relationship, whatever it might be. It's never worked out before. But this time, I'll get it right. It's foolishness. It never gets made right when we don't walk in wisdom. We don't listen to the Holy Spirit. He goes on, he says, He gives wisdom, for from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. We're running out of time here, but doesn't, that's a great reference to receiving, treasuring up his, uh, his commandments, receiving his words from his mouth. He's speaking. He's proactive in giving wisdom. For the Lord gives wisdom... From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of the saints. 
As we walk in wisdom, as we're listening to the Lord, these things begin to happen, and it actually makes it even more clear. Verse 9, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity with every good path. Do you want to understand true righteousness, what is truly right? Do you want to understand what is truly just, what's truly equity, or equity is the idea of fairness? It's going to be from the Lord. Human beings cannot come up with true righteousness or equity. It changes with the times. It is only 2,000 years ago when it was perfectly appropriate to sodomize a child in, in worship. And we're coming back to that as a nation. See, what's, what is good and what is bad, it, from human perspective, it's a pendulum. And it comes and goes. You know, is, is the sex trade empowering to women or is it destructive to women? It used to be destructive and terrible. Now, if you're a sex worker, it's empowering, and you're, and you're showing the world how strong you are. It's just a pendulum. Man's wisdom and man's estimation of value, it comes and it goes. Is it sexy to be pale or is it sexy to be tan? Because it used to be sexy to be pale. Now it's tan. It'll be pale again. All those things. Is it sexy to have a neck that's a foot long and feet that are three inches long? Those are all societal ideas. Somebody came along and said, this is what sexy is. This is what good looking is. This is what is appropriate. This is what is healthy. This is what, you know, those things are all man's wisdom. And th that was collective wisdom. We were talking entire societies that were like, yeah, this is a good deal. And then we look at where our society is going. It's going to some really dark places. It's not good deals. Man's wisdom always fails it always will but if you want to know true right what's truly right and just and equitable it's going to be from the lord and you'll never know it and i'll never know it if we're not willing to invest for wisdom will come into your heart isn't that great if your just your response could be wisdom because your heart is like the seat of your emotion it's the center of your soul as it were and if something comes out of your heart you know jesus said from the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks so when the idea is that wisdom comes out of your heart it's that there's been an exchange for earthly wisdom to god's wisdom to all of a sudden be able to look at something and look at it through the eyes of christ as a habitual reality of who you are it actually intrinsically becomes part of your soul you're being changed from the inside out. And he says, if you're walking and investing, this will come into your heart. And knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. What a great place to be. When you can say, you know what? It's actually pleasant to hear what God wants. I could think of a time in my Christian life where it wasn't. Where I wanted to live for the world. Where I was all about just, you know, a peaceful, easy feeling and doing my thing. And leave me alone. And I'll go to church and that's cool. And But, you know, whatever. I don't... And then I would, I would hear something about what God wants. I'd be like, oh, dude, like that's, that's not what I want. <laughs> but to invest and allow God to change your heart, and then all of a sudden it's pleasant, pleasant to see the Lord revealed to you rather than a dirge. It comes from understanding. It comes from investing. Delivering you, so this is verse 11, discretion will watch over you and understanding will guard you. This is kind of one of the ends of wisdom. And this is why I want to be really careful because I fully endorse and appreciate and encourage you to seek the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life. But not at the cost of wisdom. 
This is very clear. It says that discretion, discretion will guard you. What is discretion? It's being able to discriminate what's good and what's bad. It's being able to account of what's good and what's bad. So in other words, the end of wisdom is that you don't have to have, and hear me out here, you don't have to have this Holy Spirit moment about everything. I'm not saying don't seek the Spirit. Seek the Spirit. But some of us, we just want, when we say that, we want a feeling. I feel like I'm supposed to do this. I feel like I'm supposed to do that. And there's certain things in our life that are just flat wisdom. They're just discernment. But we don't do them because we're waiting to say, for the feeling. Well, I'm praying about doing this in my life. And what we're saying is, I'm not saying for all of you, I'm saying sometimes. What we're saying is, when I feel like doing that, when, when God zaps my emotions and I get supercharged and excited about it, then I will do that. That's what we're saying. Let's just be honest. Because there's certain things, they're just wisdom and discretion issues, conversations. You don't need the filling of the Holy Spirit to have a godly conversation. It's wisdom and discretion. I'm going to withhold what I know I shouldn't say, and I'm going to say what I know will build up. I don't need a Holy Spirit moment for that. I just need to do it. When I'm evaluating how to help someone, discretion will watch over me. Understanding will guard you. Being able to look at something in a situation and go, I think I know what this is. I don't need a giant Holy Spirit moment. Now, is it awesome when the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, don't do that? Of course it is. But that has to, it's not like if I don't feel that, then I just do what I want. There's discretion. There's understanding. I know where this leads. You know what? If I scream at my kids all the time, I know where that leads. I don't need a Holy Spirit moment for that. If I scare them, if I dominate them, if I discipline them with fury, I know where that leads. It leads them to be chased and cowed and, and destroyed. But if I let my kids do whatever they want and they, they're naughty and I'm like, oh, that's great. Here's a candy bar and a giant Pepsi, right? I know where that leads to. I don't need a Holy Spirit moment for that. I don't need God to come speak to me and say, you should whoop their kids, your kids when they're bad. The Bible tells me that. In love. And I mean, there's, there's just certain things where we have to be willing to move forward. And when we are walking in that wisdom and discernment, we're guarded, we're kept, and it opens up the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to lead me in other places. Does that make sense? Because I'm already coming with the wisdom that I have. I'm already coming going, Lord, I'm inclined. My heart is bent. Lord, my ear is open. I'm, I'm here for this. I'll receive what you have from me. I'll listen to my brethren. I'll pray through things. I'm already coming in that vein. And that's a wide open avenue for those supernatural events when the Holy Spirit says, okay, I want you to do this then. Go talk to that person. Go relate to that person. Because he doesn't have to worry that I'm going to go talk to that person and be a giant jerk because I'm already walking in wisdom. I'm already, know, I'm already walking in the light that I have. Here's the thing. We're out of time. The bottom line is this. Holy Spirit leading is wonderful. But the Bible in the Old and the New Testament, they, they tell us we have to seek God. And we have to seek his knowledge and his wisdom. And I don't know where you're at today, and I'm not making any accusations of that. It's just something that I've been thinking about that is for me personally, and I wanted to pass it on to you guys. If you are not seeking God with all 
and I mean this, the love and the respect in the world, you're destroying your life. It may feel good on the way. It can feel amazing on the way. It can feel comfortable on the way. Oftentimes when everything's going very well for us, it's not until times of struggle or when we're laying in our bed at night alone or in certain times where we realize things aren't so good. And if there's anything that Satan's good at, it's distraction. When we realize, as soon as we realize that things aren't so good, Satan is so faithful to show up and go, whoa, what about this? Distract yourself with this. I have this little, this little bobble over here for you, this relationship, this TV show, just whatever it is. And then we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, that's cool. This time I'll get it right. This time I'll get what I want. I'm just going to keep doing what I want and what I please, and this time it'll work out for me. But in a moment of sobriety, in our minds, we're all, we all know. <laughs> we, experientially, we all know it, doesn't, it never works. It's temporal. It always is. But a life given for Christ, a life lived for Christ, a life pursuing Christ, none of us are going to stand before the Lord and say, oh, doggone it. That was a mistake. It just won't happen. So the Lord has great things for you. Don't grow weary in well-doing, knowing that if you faint not, you shall reap. The Lord also tells us that he who began a good work in you will continue until the day of Jesus Christ. So nobody's done for. Nobody's used up. Nobody's unredeemable. Nobody's useless. There's great hope for each and every one of us. And uh, it's just a matter of, are you willing to receive and incline, call out, and search? And if the answer is yes, usually, <laughs> keep walking in that. And if the answer is no, ask yourself why. But, uh, but don't give up. Great things are definitely afoot. Father, thank you for your kindness and your mercy. Lord, thank you for your word Lord, and the encouragement it is to us. Lord, we, we want to be uh, wise folks. Lord, we, we really do. And Lord, please forgive me um, for just rejecting it sometimes. And if, and if there's other people here that have, Lord, forgive us for that. Lord, forgive us for thinking that we know better or that we, have, that we know what's right or what's wrong for giving into cultural ideals. I mean, it's just, it's just radical. But Lord, thank you for having mercy on the simple. Thank you for having mercy upon just average folks, sinful folks. We're so glad that you came for the sinners to bring repentance. We're so glad for that. And Lord, we pray this week that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to help one another, that our fellowship would be sweet, that our hearts would be open, and that our community would be loved and that great things would come from our, our church here. Great things would come for your kingdom. Great things would come for our families and our interactions and our fellowship. Lord, you're very good, and we very much appreciate it. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. If anyone